This is Decentralized, the Decentralized Trials and Research Podcast. We gather here with friends and guests to talk about the latest ways to make research and clinical trials around the world more inclusive, more accessible, more resilient, and more sustainable, all by using decentralized methods. This podcast is recorded live on Clubhouse every Friday, 12 to 1 Eastern, on the TGIF DCT show at the Decentralized Trials Club. You can join the live sessions and add your voice every Friday at noon Eastern time with the free Clubhouse app by following the Decentralized Trials Club. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform to get notified of new episodes. Following the club and subscribing will also help you stay current for any of the bonus content we may drop. And now it's time to decentralize. Well, this feels like as good a time as any to get things started. And I see a lot of familiar faces here in the room. So why don't we jump right in? Hello and welcome. For those of you joining us live, welcome to TGIF DCT, our weekly gathering here in the Decentralized Trials Club on Clubhouse. Some of you may be joining us through our podcast, Decentralized, pushed out every couple of days after these live gatherings uh, and pushed out on your favorite podcast platforms, wherever you may be listening today, welcome. If you're playing us through a podcast, give it a follow. And keep in mind, you can always join us live on Fridays at 12 Eastern time. The advantage of joining us live is you can jump on stage, share your questions, your feedback. You can jump in the live chat as well. Share your thoughts on today's topic. For those of you joining us here live, we do gather every Friday and cover a range of different topics around decentralized clinical trials from patient factors, site considerations, economic, technical, policy, regulatory, the list goes on and on. Uh, there's a great deal of archived content that you can access here on the Clubhouse app. If you follow the club, you can check out replays there. Uh, we've got about two years worth of uh, content there at this point. And then, of course, on the podcast as well, you'll find back episodes whether you listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or could even go to the DTRA website directly to, uh, to play through your web browser. Okay, uh, if you have a topic you'd love to see us cover in the months and weeks ahead, definitely drop us a line. You can reach out to me through LinkedIn, Twitter. You can uh, always send an email to secretariat at dtra.org. Let us know what topic you'd love to see us cover and uh, if you'd like to jump on stage as a co-host on a particular topic. This week, we're missing a couple of familiar faces. Uh, Amir Kalali and Jane Miles are in transit, headed to Boston for the upcoming DTRA annual meeting that'll get started on Sunday. I am delighted to join, be joined by Angela Radcliffe as my shepherd, my co-shepherd for today's topic. And jump off mute, say hello to folks, share a little bit about who you are. Sure, hi, happy Friday, everyone. I hope you've had a productive week. I'm Angela Radcliffe. I know many of you from 
from around our industry way, as they would say. Uh, most recently at Bristol-Myers Squibb, leading innovation in early discovery on the technical side, and now running a human-focused health tech and data consultancy. Super happy to be here and excited about um, really kicking off the learnings that will uh, happen at DTRA and CNS Summit next week. And Anne, are you still dropping a podcast out there on all things artificial intelligence? I am. It's called Chime with my co-host Rishi Atwaru, and we're gearing up for the next six episodes now. So if you have an interest in AI, take a peek for the Chai uh, podcast. Thanks, Craig. Chai podcast. So is that is that pushed out on podcast platforms, or do they just check follow you through LinkedIn? It is indeed. It's uh, it's on Spotify, and we post teasers on LinkedIn, which quite frankly, have the the best of the podcast anyhow. So even if you just catch the trailers uh, when we post them Wednesdays, uh, it's a good way to, to see if you're interested in listening to a full episode. Well, that is one of many reasons to make sure you're following Angela Radcliffe over there on LinkedIn. And while you're poking around on LinkedIn, if you're joining us here on live on Clubhouse, uh, scroll through the room, see who else is joining you here. They share your interest in today's topic. Could be a great connection for the next challenge you're looking to solve. So uh, check out some of the profiles that are here in the room. Uh, maybe give some of those folks a follow on LinkedIn as well. Some Always some great resources and uh, connectivity to be had. I am thrilled to welcome our guest for this week's topic. We're going to be talking about, uh, from a sponsor perspective, developing a business case for decentralized trials. And for this topic, I am delighted to welcome our friend, Madeline Gaudet. Maddie, welcome. Jump off mute, introduce yourself for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure. Hey, Craig, thanks so much. It's really, really nice to be here. Happy Friday to everybody. Um, this is my my maiden voyage on on Clubhouse. Um, it's really nice to be here. Uh, my name is Madeline Gaudet. I am uh, currently the head of patient engagement and clinical strategy, as well as the DCT office at Astellis. Um, really, my remit is to make sure that we incorporate the voice of the patient into really everything we do. Um, and then it really does have a big focus on decentralized clinical trials. Um, I've been there for about a year and a half, and I would say prior to my journey here at Estellis, um, I, I did serve on the on the vendor side of things at Clario, where I led patient experience for um, for one of their divisions around the UX and UX uh, UX and UI for their uh, patient facing products. So it was really a great um, experience to kind of see from the vendor side of things, and we'll get a little peek behind the curtain of the architecture and the development of the various apps and, and patient uh, devices that we offer. Um, as well as kind of seeing from the vendor side of how they really um, help develop uh, the RFIs and the RFPs for pharma companies. And then I would say prior to that, uh, really where I grew up within the industry was at Merck, where I was at Merck for about 17 years, and I see some of my fellow Merck colleagues on the call, so hey. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the, the work that I did at Merck around DCTs were um, really bringing about innovation to patients uh, during clinical trials. And I led uh, patient innovation and patient engagement at Merck, which focused on bringing solutions to patients um, and really bringing those those digital health technologies and the remote data collection to, to patients at Merck. Um, so I helped develop um, some of the smart trials that we did at Merck, which involved remote data collection, um, home health nursing, ePro, ECOA, telemedicine, direct-to-patient. Um, and I, I developed a pretty extensive business case in 2019 
Um, and what, you know, what was not known at the time was that COVID was right around the corner. So we had this business case um, pretty well developed. And, um, and at the time, there just wasn't a desire to, to really go forward with a full-blown DCT strategy. But come 2020 and, and the pandemic hit, I was asked to come back and present to our senior leaders and, and they did adopt um, a lot of the uh, methodologies and the techs, uh, the tech capabilities that I had presented in that original business case. Um, so, you know, I think what's been really great is seeing um, the the adoption of, of DCTs at, at various companies and large, um, large pharma companies. And I would say, um, Merck obviously is a large farm company and Astellas is a little bit more on the small to mid mid-size, which does focus a little bit more on the rare disease as well as oncology portfolio. And it's, it's expanding um, with our most recent um, you know, acquisition. And I, I think there's a lot to, um, you know, a lot to learn from, um, you know, from the, the Merck side of developing these business cases at a large pharma, seeing it from the vendor side and then seeing it from um, you know, obviously a, a small to mid-sized pharma company and just how we develop those mis business cases. What are some of the key tenants that I think are really important to make sure that you're considering when launching a clinical trial? And I think it's applicable for really for everybody. This is um, some great context and I have a bunch of notes on, uh, on topics I'd love to come to. Um, I wonder if you can back up one step, Maddie. You mentioned the scope with patient engagement and digital strategy decentralized as uh, an important part of that. What are some of the other areas that are falling in your scope in that remit right now? Sure. So great question. And so what we're trying to develop within what Adestellus is really um, ensuring that patients are considered um, throughout the life cycle of, of development. And I think a lot of companies are doing this. Um, DCTs are one element of, of that tactic and that strategy, but we really do try to co-develop our, our protocols with patients. So um, around the time of phase one, we're reaching out to patient advocacy organizations and making sure the, their perspectives are, are gleaned. And I think in the area of rare disease, it's really essential that you get that, that feedback and what we are doing is making sure that that feedback around DCTs is discussed before we start, you know, kind of um, making that business case to teams as well. It's it's really part of the package. Um, also part of my remit is the DCTs, of course. Um, we are starting to look at including recruitment and retention into, um, into my remit as well. Diversity in clinical trials and developing diversity plans is also in my remit. So um, it's really interesting because I, I think Estellas is unique in that we we house a lot of a lot of these functions in one you know under one umbrella. Um, I know a lot of other pharma companies kind of have uh, you know different groups kind of handling these areas, whereas we have a, a little bit more of a centralized function, and then we bring in stakeholders uh, you know across the industry as needed. That is some scope, Maddie. That's going to keep you busy for a while. <laughs> It's in the building phase, so yeah. I mean, were, were a lot of these areas kind of nascent inside of Estellas or kind of uh, fragmented or spread around and this was an opportunity in the company to bring a lot of pieces together? Yeah, I think the, the leader at the time really had that vision for um, things that were, um, that were closely related were brought in closer. And we did have, um, we didn't, I wouldn't say we had certain functions that were handling these areas. We outsourced some of those pieces. And I think what's happening is we're looking to 
um, have a little bit more control um, so that we can be more nimble and deciding those factors a little bit faster, um, especially when we're assessing feasibility and deciding which way we go. Um, I think it was a, a big desire of the company to have that, that function in-house to be able to make those strategic decisions. And? Yeah, I, you know, I was just thinking about something you said in your, your previous comment and then that's pulled through here, which is, you know, there's a lot of components that need to sort of be tracked and measured and, um, you know, included to make a business case. And when we're talking about innovation uh, and we're talking about innovation, all of these separate areas that fall under your giant remit, you know, people still have a lot of resistance to doing new things, right? They, so, so you might have all the metrics in the world. And I'm just wondering, how are you packaging um, the insights you're gaining along the way in order to continue to improve the business case? And where have you heard sort of the greatest resistance and where have you seen the greatest success in sharing those learnings? Yeah, that's a, a great point. And um, KPIs, I think, are, are really, really essential. And so we are, you know, I would say the way that we've been handling it is, is looking at um, study teams who are a little bit more, um, I, I would say they're in the post-marketing phase or a little bit later in the process. So we're not really, um, you know, engaging um, studies that are right up against registration to to go ahead and, and try out some of these tactics. So I think that has been a, a way to ease the concern of, you know, I don't want it to be done for my study because we're, we're so close to the filing. Um, KPIs are really, really, um, you know, started to collect them. And I think, you know, we're, we're really, we're, we're trying things out and we're, we're looking at various components. And, and like you said, the remit is so large um, and we are trying to prioritize key projects to to really um, implement DCTs and also some of these other strategies and tactics. We are looking to groups like like Craig's like with DTRA to kind of look at like industry trends and and what's working best with um, you know some of the the really most applicable KPIs. Um, our vendor and and some of the vendors that we've been working with also have some KPIs that you know obviously we want on our scorecard and that was really important to the business to to make sure that we were measuring. Um, you know, benchmarking and then measuring against, uh, you know, those metrics to make sure that we were making positive progress. Um, so as as the, I would say, the, the area of DCT grows, obviously there's going to be more desire to have even more, I would say, the, the minutiae in those metrics to be even more mapped out. Um, but we have to, you know, we have to um, consider the needs of the business and where our trials are. So we are looking at those trials that we have a little bit more flexibility in timelines and I would say risk um, and then applying those learnings to our to our other study teams. Um, obviously, I, I think one of the major areas is the portfolio assessment. And, and really when you're looking at your portfolio, um, you know, what indications are you looking at to try to implement these DCTs? And, you know, how are you going to measure success? And, and we know that that is a main issue um, for once for some of our teams. It's, you know, we want to make sure that they uh, are comfortable, are, are, are well aware of, you know, we know that we can't guarantee that there will be absolutely no um, bumps in the road with, um, with applying these DCTs. And I think it's having that transparency, but also making the study team aware of, you know, why are we doing what we do? What we, why are we doing what we're doing? And I think it, it does lead back to the, 
the patient's perspective and what the patient needs and the fact that we're all charging toward this common goal of getting medicines to the patients faster. And we're going to have to do that with the inclusion of DCTs in some, you know, in some cases, and it, it's really to benefit the patient. And I think that's part of the the package of what we're trying to deliver to teams is, you know, it is, a, a, you know, assuring them that we're going to be capturing this, uh, you know, capturing those KPIs closely to be able to deliver that to the business. Um, but then also it is really like, why are we doing what we, we're doing? We're not just trying to introduce new tech to introduce new tech. It's really to make it easier for patients to participate make it easier for patients who are from, you know, underserved patient populations to be able to participate and provide equity to the way that patients are accessing clinical trials. Maddie, what are some of the, it sounds like you've done this business case development within pharma for a while. What are some of the core considerations that others should be thinking about, uh, whether core elements of that case or how you go about developing it in a way that you know it's, it's resilient and robust? What are some tips for others that may be considering a business case in their organization, whether for decentralized or something else in, in these uh, areas you're talking about? Yeah, that's a, a really great question, Craig. And I think I would start with um, really that portfolio analysis as I was just talking about it. It's really finding, um, you know, and assessing the right fit um, and making sure those DCTs are fit for purpose for that patient population. Um, you know, obviously we're not going to um, be launching some of these DCTs in a very, um, you know, a very sick patient population where, you know, it's really highly, um, you know, there has to be like a lot of on-site visits for MRIs and, and things of that nature where we really can't go off-site. But, you know, obviously um, I think the, the hybridization also of DCTs and the optionality to patients is going to be key and making sure that that's um, you know, something that we present to, to the business. Um, also looking at the protocol design, obviously it's really important to make sure that the protocol design and, and those therapies can be administered outside the clinic. Um, I think the alignment with the strategic goals of the business also is really, really key. So in my experience, you know, when you've had to have a, an individual clinical trial and then um, you know, you you have that initial trial and it works really well, and then you try to go upwards and and really make the leaders, I would say, one, two, three levels above you uh, to try to get that you know um, excitement around clinical trials and and really build out that business case is not as beneficial, and I would say it's not as useful than going with the strategic goals of the company and corporate objectives, and then having a, a top down approach. And I think that's the best way that. Um, you know, I have seen adoption um, and even receptivity to DCTs happen is really when you have that, um, you know, I would say a kind of a, a CEO down approach and support for those, um, you know, for those tactics. And I would say it's also um, making sure that, um, you know, you have the appropriate service providers, um, you are addressing the issues around data security, <clears throat> regulatory compliance. Um, you know, change management. I think that's a huge one too um, that really has to be uh, incorporated. And, you know, I, I think a big part is like, you know, we, we don't, you know, it's hard to get into the really the, the financial benefits, but I think everybody wants to know what the ROI is. And I think that's the biggest um, burden sometimes, is, you know, we really don't have the money for these DCTs. 
And, you know, without having a big portfolio of DCTs, especially within certain therapeutic areas, it's hard to really um, map out the ROI without, you know, being speculative. And so I think, you know, having some of those soft savings being presented um, to the business are really important when you don't have um, established KPIs and you still have to uh, demonstrate the benefits of there being productivity, there being transformation within the business, there being patient satisfaction. Um, you know, you have to be creative, I would say, if you are doing this for the first time, um, you know, really trying to create that business case without really having metrics. And so I would say, you know, creating some kind of um, analysis for like financially speaking, and then presenting those uh, soft savings that you may not have KPIs initially, but you know, you're trying to demonstrate the benefits of DCT. I think that's such a practical tip, Maddie. And, and the concept of sort of presenting the soft savings, helping people get their arms around, hey, this is where it's making a difference for the company's bottom line in addition. Um, but I'm wondering if you have hit up against the challenge or objection that um, doing some of these things for DCTs, especially in this early test and learn environment that we're in, is costing more money than less. And you know people are are making the case against some of the things that you're working on or working through in the business case because shorter term, the outlay um, of either resources, time or money seems to out outweigh the benefit for patients. You know, we, we'd love to think that all decisions are made based on patient benefit, but we know that there's a lot of business decisions that happen too. Yeah, that's a really great, great question, Angela. And if I don't answer it the way you intended to ask it, please ask me again. Um, so I would say, you know, part of, yes, and, and I, I think you're, you're spot on. And when you're saying like, there's going to be challenges with getting um, budget and really being able to kind of prove that, you know, DCTs are the way to go. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of, you know, myths associated with, with uh, DCTs. And, and one of the big thing is that, you know, I think a misconception is that DCTs are just truly always like totally decentralized. And so part of the change management process has really got to be around even like, what are we talking about and how are we level setting? Um, and I think a lot of times what um, people are surprised to know is that we're not intending for the trial to be totally remote. And I think for a lot of leaders within um, the various pharma companies, this is like kind of like an aha moment of where they're, you know, you're kind of, having them realize like what you actually mean by, um, you know, a hybrid trial or, or a decentralized trial. And more and more, I think it's something like 80% are, are hybridized trials. They're not DC, like true, truly remote DCTs. Um, and then I, I think when you're kind of hitting on those um, topics about, um, you know, more accurate data collection, how your recruitment rates are, you know, going to be improved or retention rates aren't going to be as high, um, you know, the potential commercial advantage by having faster drug timelines, I think, are, are all ways to, to have that happen um, and convince the business of, you know, um, trying to overcome some of those challenges. Um, and, I, and I would say sometimes an enterprise solution or having like a platform that's truly, you know, built from within is just not the answer for a lot of pharma companies. And I think that's also a barrier that, you know, it's, it's an all or none mentality. And I don't think it needs to be that way. 
Um, and some of the things that I think are are beneficial is just kind of seeing if they're if we can't do an enterprise, um, you know, agreement or build a platform in the house. Like, could there be point to point solutions which may be more fit for purpose for for a trial? And I think we need to you know, have the business understand like in these financial, you know, hard times that we're all going through and everybody's trying to be more efficient with costs and, you know, um, you know, good financial stewards of, the, of the, the business's money. I think we do need to look at different ways to you know, employ the use of DCTs. And, and I think there is more than one way to skin a cat when it comes to implementing trials. And I think that needs to be part of a flexible business case. I think that was a even better answer than the one I was hoping for. I do want to dig a little little bit further though into something. When you talk about soft savings, um, I'm wondering, are there other areas, risk mitigation, environmental impact, things like that that you're holding up as uh, beacons of uh, early success in uh, you know implementing DCTs? Yeah, so that's that's a great point. So I'd say some of the soft things I think I was alluding to a little bit earlier are around um, things like improving research quality, um, you know, having better data quality, coming up with novel da uh, novel biomarkers like new endpoints, you know, multidimensional data for for some of these rare indications. Um, you know, some of those soft savings around better, you know, patient engagement or, you know, people recruiting into your trials. I think um, as diversity continues on being um, really an area that we want to make sure is being uh, promoted and encouraged, that uh, we need to make sure that we are enabling more of like an equitable um, ability for patients to, to participate. And then, um, you know, similarly, reducing the burden of, of patients during those clinical trials. I think, um, again, if you have a patient-centric organization that is really um, aware of the burdens of, of clinical trial participation and reducing that burden, I think that's really, really, really important. Um, and then also, I, I think what we need to do uh, is make sure, and I think, um, you know, about reducing the site burden also. Um, that is something that we are very sensitive to, and we understand that, you know, we need to make sure that, um, you know, it, it is it is a benefit to the sites. Um, I know that there's, you know, sometimes some chatter that it's more um, resource intensive on the site, but, you know, in certain cases where, um, you know, sites are using DCTs to really cut down on the office visits um, for them as well, it's a, it's a time reduction. So making sure that we're encouraging and making sure that we're promoting that as well. Um, I think to your point of like reducing waste and, you know, the environmental footprint and reducing that, um, that ability. And if you have that as a, a real tenant in your, your business, and I think a lot of companies do, um, that's really, really helpful. Um, and, you know, I think around uh, making sure that we're kind of um, talking about the safety um, of our patients, maintaining that privacy, making sure that, you know, we're not harming our patients and making sure that their data is kept safe. Um, I did talk about diversity and I mean, I, I could go on, but I think it is trying to also um, talk about and presenting during the pre presentation of that business case, I think presenting those key risks and making sure that you have a mitigation strategy. I think you need to call out the elephant in the room um, and you need to make sure that you have a plan in place um, to mitigate some of those risks. And so we know it's not just all 
um, you know, sunshine and roses with, with DCTs. And I think that's part of it to make sure that we're, you know, yes, we're presenting soft savings. Yes, we're presenting, um, you know, we're, we're trying to present there being more productivity, less burden on patients. Um, but then we also have to kind of present those key risks and have a strategy of how we're going to, to combat them. Go ahead, Ange. <laughs> Craig, do you want to get to talk at all today? Uh, Maddie, I'm loving the conversation. Keep it's going. Just, it's just this is such great stuff, Maddie. You you brought up sites, and I and trying to keep the site burden down. And I, you know, I did want to ask. Like, I think it is a hot topic right now. How how are you striving for sponsor of choice when um, you are essentially driving uh, industry disruption and that has echoes across the ecosystem, right? Including the sites. I, it's great to hear you, like many others, are working so hard to not not increase the burden, especially the tech burden that we placed on sites, et cetera, right, over, over the years. But I'd just love to hear a little bit more about that uh, before we get to the top of the hour. Sure. No, I appreciate the question. And you know, for us, what we are trying to do, <clears throat> excuse me, more and more is incorporate that, that site perspective. So I would say first line, uh, we do on our team have um, a site manager, like a, a previous site manager. We have prior site nurses um, that do give their input. And we also um, utilize an internal community of um, site staff that you know had come from the site side and we use almost like it's an employee information group that we do and are able to reach out to to get some input. We additionally, you know, we of course follow industry and what people are saying online and LinkedIn. We're very dialed in. Um, and then, you know, they will become kind of a, a, a cohort of feedback um, because when we're developing the protocols, yes, we want the patient's perspective and we want to know if they're going to use these devices, but we also know that it's going to be the sites administering the training. So part of what we're trying to do as we implement those DCTs is have a training plan, an established training plan. Um, you know, whether it be audio and visual, whether it just be audio, whether it be written, um, we really do try to present a, a pretty comprehensive training plan for the patients. Um, and we know it's going to be kind of a, a train the trainer in some instances, but I think really having a comprehensive training plan, having access to help 24-7 for, for tech for the sites and the patients is really, is really key because we know that we can't have a successful launch without that. Um, so we've been in, in a lot of discussions, um, you know, from some of the site perspective as well as the, the vendor perspective to kind of assess, like, how are, you know, how can we optimize the training prior to the study launching to make sure that we don't get into a situation where, you know, there are some issues with compliance or usability of the tech, um, you know, and we don't want to create that burden for the sites. And my gosh, like, we know that already with so many sponsor companies uh, participating with some of these health, uh, you know, these health networks, and they are working on 10 to 15 protocols at a time. And if you multiply that by the amount of vendors, not just with DCT, but recruitment and, you know, all the other suppliers that we have, it's, it's extremely burdensome. So that's what we want a low footprint for, for our piece. Um, with the DCT please. And that's why I think when we look to add the strategy for incorporating a vendor, um, you know, we didn't want multiple vendors providing different things, even though if we knew it was going to be, maybe somebody's a little bit better 
um, on ePro or eCo or a little bit better on telemedicine. They had a little bit better of a platform. Um, I think our strategy was, hey, we want to reduce the burden and we don't want there to be, you know, kind of multiple sign-ons and multiple devices. Like we really do try to to minimize that impact. And I think that's that's kind of what we're trying to do is incorporate, you know, the nurse, I would say, and coordinator input. Um, you know, and, and I feel like as I'm talking now, I feel kind of bad that we really don't involve, involve the PI as much. Um, but that probably would be like a, a next um, a next line. But we use our internal resources to get a very quick um, turnaround on feedback from nurses and, and prior site staff, specifically um, in the indications that we're looking in. And then we also have some external partners of where we can solicit this feedback as well. Well, this is a great time for us to open up the room. So if there are folks in the room that have questions, ideas, experiences on today's topic around a business case for decentralized trials in your organization. Feel free, if you're here with us live on Clubhouse, to click the little hand-raising icon and we'll pull you up here on stage. If you're joining us on the podcast, remember, you can always jump in on Fridays, 12 to 1 Eastern, and join the conversation, just like our friend Archana Sa is doing here with us uh, live. Archana, welcome. Come on off mute. Introduce yourself for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure. Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Archana Saw. I am an independent strategic advisor to the industry after having spent 30 years on the farm side. Um, you know, it's really, um, I thank you for sharing your thoughts, Madeline and Angela, today. I really, I think that you're really doing it very deliberately and very consciously with all the issues and risks and putting the mitigations in place. Um, one question I had for both of you was, how, how are you or are you thinking about, um, you know, perhaps the optionality of letting the sites use their technology that they have invested in, in your strategic plan? What are your thoughts on that as opposed to, you know, of course you'll be streamlining the technologies you use or deploy on studies and protocols, but what about being open-minded to letting the sites use? I'm just, just asking that also because I believe that that could also help in encouraging adoption and uh, more familiarity and training already in place uh, and thereby promoting adoption at the site level of DCT technologies. Yeah, that's a, a really great question, Archana. And and to answer your question, yes, we are, uh, at least at Estelle's, like we are very open if the sites have certain technology that is already working for them. Um, I think this comes up in e-consent a lot where, um, you know, a health system already has, um, you know, a certain system set up for their e-consent. Um, and we do encourage and we do allow um, you know, as long as it's compliant and falls within measures, um, we do allow for sites to use their own technology. And again, we, at least within Estellas, we are not um, trying to be in the business of making this tougher for sites. So when we can, um, we do allow the sites to utilize their own, their own DCT tech, I would say, um, you know, and I know that there have been recent instances where um, for even the you know, the health technologies where, um, you know, I, I can't give, you know, this like too much away, but there was a, a medical device that, um, you know, that we did allow each patient to use their own 
um, their own device uh, with a, a certain breathing, um, the breathing device um, that had like a, a corresponding Bluetooth um, attachment or a way to download the data. So again, for patients and for sites, like we really do encourage that optionality because again, if, you know, I, I think the, the lift to have, um, you know, sites use 20 different pharma companies technology is not always the best way. Um, and it, it's, it's really a point of frustration. We know that there's, you know, budgeting issues at the sites, um, that they're asking for, you know, digital tech, um, personnel now, because just the burden is just too large. So yes, um, you know, I, I think if, if it does allow, and I, I, I understand there are certain instances where it's just not possible because of the way that they were trying to collect the data, um, there needs to be standardization and harmonization. So I think there are, I would say for the digital health technology, that's probably one of those things where, you know, you probably have to um, be a little bit more specific about how they are collecting the data and a little bit more standardized. But then there's probably some, you know, other areas like telehealth, e-consent, e um, which are a little bit more easy to, um, you know, have the site utilize their own technology to make it easier for them. Thanks for sharing that. Uh... Uh, it's really great to hear that you are uh, uh, allowing that and keeping an open mind to it. A follow-up question to that um, is, uh, you know, as a large pharma, you deal with, of course, lots, many different kinds of IRBs, you know, central IRB, local IRBs. Um, and oftentimes, local IRBs may not be um, fully technologically savvy to understand the and ask the right questions uh, in terms of while well, they're reviewing, let's say, ICF or inclusion exclusion criteria. Um, you know, in terms of inclusivity and, and diversity that um, a lot of uh, the industry is also focusing on, um, how are you, um, you know, how are you trying to educate the non-savvy IRBs, local IRBs that you may be working with um, to make sure that uh, while they're reviewing the protocols uh, and especially ICF and IE criteria, um, inclusivity and diversity is something that is also factored in um, and how the technology is going to help advance that inclusivity and diversity. How are you planning to educate them or is that on your radar at all? So, I would say that my, you know, <laughs> regulatory is not in my remit. I'd say, like, I have a pretty large remit. Regulatory is not in my remit. Um, so we have a team that actually does our submissions. Um, but I can tell you that, um, you know, part of what we try to do is equip our teams to to have, um, you know, elements of the, our business case of kind of like the, the rationale as to why we are doing what we do um, and kind of present some of the data and have that on hand for presentation. But... Um, you know, I, I would say our, our involvement is, is making sure that we're coordinating with our regulatory colleagues. Um, they are the ones interfacing with the, with the IRBs. Um, so I have not personally dealt with the, with the IRBs. Um, that's really up to our regulatory uh, partners. Um, but having and producing the, you know, the, the documentation of like how we're building our business case is always available to them to, to really help um, educate and inform them as to, to what we're doing and why. Um, and I think for the diversity piece, um, that has been similarly, um, you know, part of the strategy of, you know, really helping to in improve diversity and inclusion. I think that's a, 
at times it's an easier um, way to, to really, and I don't want to call it a sell, but, you know, it's really the right thing to do um, for, for our clinical trials and for the, our development of medicines is making sure that, you know, all patients have access and, and our data is representative of you know, the patient population that, you know, will be taking the medications, um, you know, and I would say, you know, that's a little bit of an easier, you know, we can produce the data, we can show the benefits, you know, it's, it's being mandated. The DCT elements, I think we can build a, build a pretty good case as to why it's really important. Um, but, you know, again, I would, I would really re lean on our regulatory um, colleagues to do that. And, and if Angela, Craig, you guys have different experiences, please share. <laughs> No, no other, uh, no other add on that. But Maddie, you know, one question that you know I think is on my mind from some of the conversation. You know, we're talking a lot about technology, but we're also talking about a lot of innovative services. When you had developed your business plan, your business case, was that inclusive of both the technology as well as areas like home health or supporting um, the uh, the drug supply chain uh, extensions that may be needed? Thanks, Craig. So I would say in my um, in my most recent, like when we did this for for Stellis, we were focusing more on like the digital platform. And then um, I would say um, when we do utilize um, things like ancillary, um, you know, ancillary DCTs is what I'll call it, uh, the director patient, the home healthcare um, nursing. We do that almost like a like almost like a a little bit separate from. Um, from the big business case of like a, a platform or a, like a, you know, a platform solution. So, um, you know, and I, I would also say for, um, you know, I would say the platform is a more unified, uniform way of kind of getting everybody speaking the same language. Whereas with the DC, with the, with the home healthcare, the direct to patient, that's usually like a study by study basis. It depends on uh, the IMP, it depends on the patient population, it depends on who we have access to use for a home health care network. Can they do infusions? Um, are they localized? Do we have a big enough nursing, uh, you know, cohort to actually go out to you know, these patients and where they are, especially for rare disease and oncology, I, I think it's a little bit more challenging. So we try to hit those, um, you know, those ancillary DCT-ish, um, you know, elements on a, a protocol by protocol basis. But we do have companies that we work with routinely, um, you know, to supply that, to supply the home healthcare nursing um, and we also work with our CRO partners to be able to provide that. And then with the uh, direct to, ship to patient shipping, we also, um, you know, have an ability to do that. But again, it really does depend on the individual protocol. So for those, it's really a case by case basis. And but I do think it goes back to that point around, um, you know, DCTs, whether it be a platform solution or a non-platform solution really needs to be. Um, you know, tailored to that study and and fit for purpose for that study. And and one of the the ways that we tried to make the business aware of what we were doing with DCT is to almost tier or categorize and prioritize the DCTs that we were trying to implement um, for for the business. So you know, trying to because we know there's just so many things um, that we could be implementing from a DCT perspective, and there's big buckets of the platform, but then 
you know, there's also other things like patient concierge services and, and types of communication and feedback to the, to and from the patients, um, you know, linking patients to be able to uh, recruit remotely and, you know, consent remotely. Like, I think there's just different things um, that we have tried to do to kind of prioritize the DCTs from a portfolio business perspective that would be, um, you know, more prioritization to implement first. And then some of the remote other areas of where we knew it was going to be almost like a, a point to point or a per protocol basis. We let, let that at a little bit less of a priority because we had um, and do have the vendors in place to help supply that should the study team need it. Fabulous. Thanks so much, Maddie. Um, I know I have some more questions on my mind, but I see Vladimir just joined us here. Vladimir, come on off mute, introduce yourself and share your question or thought on today's topic. Uh, hi, I'm Vladimir Schneidman, Orbi Consulting, and we're dealing with um, applying advanced uh, analytical techniques to uh, optimize uh, planning and management in life science industry. Uh, I have uh, two questions. First question, um, you, Madeline, mentioned, um, mentioned uh, ROI for decentralized clinical trials. Uh, what would be a realistic assessment for uh, ROI? Is it kind of uh, 400%, 1,300%, like we, we uh, uh, kind of when we looked at different presentations, uh, or it is uh, kind of in the range of 10, 12% or something like that? Could you give uh, kind of more, more or less realistic uh, assessment? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I would say what we have tried to present to the business is more of a an approximation of potential cycle time reduction. So that mm -hmm. is, you know, in, in a certain way, like how we were looking at it. And then also, um, you know, some of the amendment reductions. Um, so that's kind of how we were, were we were looking at it as uh, for our ROI is really around like the cycle time reductions, um, and then you know kind of the, like the amendment, um, the the potential amendment reductions, and really then extrapolating what the cost savings would be from you know from those cycle time reductions over the course of you know multiple years. But you at the same time you mentioned that uh, cost of uh, the centralized clinical trials. Uh, increased and uh, it should be somehow weighted against against uh, these reductions and what uh, my question is the same how it how, how did it affect uh, ROI um, did you mean are you meaning like what how what was our financial like assessment like how did we go about yeah, yes ROI? yes yes you mentioned that some uh, in your presentation <laughs> you mentioned that some companies they cannot afford uh, doing uh, mm -hmm. decentralized uh, trials or hybrid probably trials I mean uh, um, but it's the, it's the same it means that their the ROI should be negative or close to zero uh, it means that uh, if you uh, kind of implement uh, this uh, DCT therefore you have to calculate uh, calculate mm -hmm. ROI upfront up front, not kind of, uh, and that's, this is my question. And what is the realistic number for ROI? I think that really depends. So when we did our, um, kind of our, our three to five year 
kind of year over year analysis. Um, we looked at kind of DCTs and how many DCTs we would need to be on trial um, mm -hmm. to have a benefit to to the business, and then where we would break even, and then we where we would be, um, you know, either saving money or losing money. So I can't tell you like the individual. Um, percentages, it's proprietary, and like how we how we came up with those numbers, but it was like a pretty decent analysis of like currently what we're doing with, um, you know, some of our DCTs, what that, how many DCTs and how many trials would have to utilize certain lines of tech in order for it to be a benefit to the business, and then where we would break even, and then we were where we would be losing money, and that's that was part of our analysis. Uh, and my, uh, thank you very much. And my second question is about uh, site selection for DCT and hybrid trials. Is it uh, does does this problem make sense uh, or not? Uh, because you we can kind of enroll as many patients as we want. <laughs> um, Vladimir, can you rephrase that? So okay, let me. Uh, yeah, sure. I'm asking about site selection. Site selection mm -hmm. for conventional trials. Uh, is uh, kind of pretty is a uh, little bit tricky because mm -hmm. you have to take into consideration million things but uh, site selection in my opinion site selection for dct is more complicated because you have to include many factors which mm -hmm. were not uh, uh, included included previously for example like uh, patient uh, patients diversity cost of uh, mm -hmm. um, decentralized, decentralized trials what are, what are sites uh, capabilities etc etc Sure. So I would say it's part of our, our feasibility analysis. So part of part of flight selection is kind of assessing the feasibility and whether they would be open to utilizing the various tech. Um, I would say at this stage in the adoption of DCT, I would say it's it's rare that sites are just saying like, no, we're not going to participate or no, we don't have any experience. Um, you know, I would say from a pharma company, like we supply the tech. Um, or if the site has their own tech, like I was mentioning before, I think there's um, various optionality that they're able to use. Like if they have any like an like, process already, they can they can use that. Um, has there been really a big problem in selecting sites um, for these trials? Not to my knowledge, because we don't. Um, you know, I wouldn't say um, for the trials that we have implemented this on. There's been a huge. Um, aversion to utilizing the technology that we are presenting. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Vlad. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, Maddie, we've got a question in the chat about um, about therapeutic areas, and it's an interesting question for us as we're thinking about business cases internally. Did you start your business case just leaned into a specific therapeutic area or a specific geography, or did the case uh, lay out a, a global strategy out of the gate? It's a global, it, that's a really great question. And I would say it's kind of two tiered. So we we are um, a Japanese owned company. So we needed to make sure that it was a global imp implementation. So the way that we were selecting our vendors, like they had to have global capabilities and this was going to be a global platform. Um, and then additionally, where we needed to make sure that there was capability and functionality was within, um, I would say two of the larger um, therapeutic areas that we specialize in, which is uh, oncology and rare disease. So part of our 
very extensive um, process of where we were looking at various vendors was really to assess um, the global footprint and the capability, and then also the therapeutic area expertise. Um, so for, you know, for a lot of times like DCT, you know, you see a lot of, um, you know, uh, I would say more, um, you know, hypertension, dermatitis, um, CNS, like a lot of those indications, um, you know, a lot of teams are a little bit more open to util utilizing DCT because it's not as essential to see patients in office. Um, but for us, you know, it really, it's a little bit trickier, right, with, uh, with oncology and rare disease. And really the stress was that they was, these were going to be the majority of hybridized trials because for either rare disease or oncology, usually uh, a good chunk of the, the visits would have to be on site. So it, it did have to be a global plan and it did have to be um, focused around those therapeutic areas. I would say the, you know, those two elements took place a little bit more as we were kind of honing in on, you know, what would be a, a right fit for us from a partner perspective, um, rather than, you know, coming out of the gate as the, in the business case. I think it was showing the benefit of, of DCTs to patients. And I think we kept it a little bit more, um, you know, high level. I think when we got to the benefits of DCT, and then the risk mitigations, that's really where the global piece as well as the you know, therapeutic areas came into play because we knew that it wasn't going to be the easiest to implement some of these DCTs with some of these indications. So we had to make sure that we knew that was a risk and we had to come up with a, a pretty um, well-suited mitigation plan. Thanks so much, Maddie. Um you know, there's so many different dimensions here, and you talked about some of the soft endpoints as well as the the hard ROI. You know, a lot of the conversation right now is including the role that decentralized approaches in a study can help provide for business continuity and resilience. It's such a, a volatile world, um, whether with global conflict, with future pandemics, with weather events. Uh, there's a strong belief that decentralized approaches can provide some additional insurance to uh, have confidence that a multi-year clinical trial can carry on. Others, especially out of Europe, are looking at environmental impact of decentralized research methods. Can these help support our corporate ESG, environmental, social, and governance uh, responsibilities? Did these other considerations factor into a business case or do they feel too distant? That's a great question, Craig. And I think for us, it was a, it was kind of a, a bullet point that we, that we were speaking to, um, but it didn't, I wouldn't say it played front and center. I think for us, it was really around, um, you know, because Estellas is such a patient centric organization, it was really hitting on the fact that, you know, we were trying to increase our patient's experience in our clinical trials, reducing that burden. Um, and then some of the, the other elements that I think just happen um, just naturally after you, you focus on the patient are, you know, you are reducing, you know, the, the, the waste, you are reducing the burden, you are, you know, improving um, the timelines. So I think some of these were just um, natural um, kind of benefits from from really focusing on DCT. And then for us also, it was really focusing also on, you know, it's, it's part of transformation, right? It's part of transforming 
business operations and being more efficient with our with our data collection and, and for our sites and you know kind of coming in and, and and being innovative and having those innovations around process and technology and really kind of starting to kind of shift the tide into being a more digitally based company and i think that's um you know if you talk about future state and where we want to be um, developing a plan around that, uh, planning around digital innovation. I think it's it was really important for the businesses to see that aspect of it. So um, yes, I think the you know the ESG impact is was really really important. Um, but I would say we didn't focus um, so much on that um, because I would say also you know not to say that um, it's not important because it, it very much is. I think with our indications and our main goals around, um, you know, our main therapeutic areas of oncology and rare disease, these patients are, are extremely ill and they're waiting for these medications and for us speed and getting these medicines to patients faster is of the, you know, is of the essence. Um, and that's what we were really focusing on. It's uh, always encouraging to near the end of a conversation and still be talking about the impact on patients. And I really appreciate that you've, you know, brought that perspective throughout this whole conversation. I'm wondering if you've had any surprises. You know, the fun thing about innovation and doing new things and leading the way in spaces like this is we get surprised. And when you were talking earlier about um, you know, thinking about the right fit uh, for, you know, the right business case for the right study and maybe not wanting to interrupt something that's a critical path um, or maybe, you know, study might not, might not be right because patients need to come to X to do Y. Have you had any surprises? Um, uh, you know, things that you thought you couldn't do DCT, but turned out to be a real win or vice versa? Uh, we don't have another hour, but yes, I've <laughs> had many surprises. Um and, you know, I would love to say that I, I had none and it's all been positive. Um, but unfortunately, it, it hasn't all been positive. But I would say um, what's been, I would say, encouraging has been um, how I would say senior leaders are very open to the idea of innovation and technology when it means, I would say, you know, benefiting the patient. And I think um, also the, the nice benefit has been um, being able to hear from patients like this is what they want. They want their voices to be heard. Um, they want to make sure that we are tracking their experience in the trial. And, you know, it, it's really. Um, so that has been, uh, you know, it's been encouraging to, to have that. And I would say that's been a nice surprise. Um, you know, I think with, with technology, I think in my early days of, you know, years before COVID trying to, you know, help implement some of these smart trials, we have had, you know, pretty big blips with technology. Um, and we've learned a lot of lessons and I've learned a lot of lessons of, you know, where to try to implement these CCTs and not doing it right up against a registration trial. Um, you know, so I, I think you, you know, you take your lumps and you learn from them. And I think it's been, um, it's been a great journey. Uh, honestly, some of these and these business cases being refined over the years, I, I kind of feel, you know, very confident to kind of go before senior leaders now um, and and for those surprises to be minimized. And I think that's just how you learn. So, I, you know, kind of a, a parting word is, is don't be discouraged, even if you get 
a no. Um, you know, in my days at Merck, I mean, I've got I got so many no's um, around technology and and implementing a plan. But you know, you never know what happens and what's around the next corner. And it's always good to be prepared. And 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 you know, things do turn around and and people do come back and and want those DCTs. So. So stay on it. And, um, and you know, if you have any other questions, I'm, I'm happy to, to be a resource. Betty, thank you so much for sharing this hour with the, uh, with the community. You are an energized wealth of experience and knowledge here. Uh, I'm also grateful, Angela, to you jumping in and joining us here today. And of course, Archana, Vladimir, and the folks in the chat who are sharing their questions during today's session. We are not going to be live next week on November 10th. We'll drop a, a previous popular episode in its place. For those of you joining us in Boston or online for the DTRA annual meeting next week, we'll look forward to seeing you there. We'll reconvene here live on Clubhouse on November 17th from 12 to 1. Everybody stay well, enjoy your weekends, and we'll look forward to speaking with you all soon. Thanks again.